Box Crusade presents monthly Monday Movie Muckabout because the podcasting world needs another movie review show. I am Rick, also known as Not Jeff from Jeff and Rick Presents, and you know I love movies, and you know I love using this wonderful attic at the Long Box Crusade headquarters. But today I thought I'd try out some of this gear that I found up here that apparently Jared bought at the yard sale or something that should allow me to walk around the place and talk to people and, you know, maybe get another person onto the show or bring somebody back since we're after 50 episodes. Let's try it out. I think I'm going to start, though, by knocking on this door and seeing if this person is here or even available. So let's try it out. Hey, Glenn, you in there? What? Rick? Hey, cool. He's he's in here. Check it out. Let, let's just walk on in. Clinton, I'm surprised that you are here. You're still in the basement, man. What's up? Of course I'm in the basement. That door is locked on the outside like prison bars and everything else. No, it's it's unlocked. It's completely open. But but let's not talk about that now. Do you want to do another movie? Oh, yeah, yeah. You're, you're skipping the major subject here. Uh, wait, yeah, movie? Yeah, yeah, sure. Of course you want to see a movie. That's all you do down here is, well, you don't watch movies. You watch, like, little shorts of movies, like fan film movies, right? Hey, hey, hey. Yes. <laughs> How's that going for you? You still uh, inching along on that? Using up all of the bandwidth of the Longbox Crusade headquarters as you search for those little fan films of yours? Let's get one thing straight. Which one of us has a kill count on our show? Um, well, yeah. You know, Jonathan Schaefer Hams has died at least twice on this show. That That is a good reason to actually keep coming back to the show, is just to see Jonathan Schaefer Hams's rotting corpses over there. How's he doing anyways? Huh? By the way, <laughs> by the way, we should say, hi, Maggie. Uh, <laughs> we're, we're a sick, twisted bunch we are, aren't we? <laughs> How else is everything going for you down here, though? Pretty good, pretty good. I'm excited to have you back on the show. I mean, we're kind of like brothers in this little crazy long box crusade adventures. The outsiders doing our bit for the good of the order and all that stuff. But uh, I thought it'd be kind of fun to come down here. And now that I'm over 50, you know, start again, have some people back on and have you back on to do a show. Talk about another movie from the, you know, my favorite list and movies you haven't seen. So I brought a couple down here and I thought we'd uh, see which one of these that you hadn't actually seen before. What do you say? Okay, sure. Yeah, let's roll the dice on that. I mean, it's it's probably a pretty good overlap on your favorite movies and things I haven't seen, but you know. I think I, I would think so. You know, not too many people get inside my sick and twisted little mind, but that's okay. That's okay. Let's go ahead and see if you have seen this film. All the way from 1969, Paint Your Wagon. I have actually not seen Paint Your Wagon. Do you know anything, anything at all about Paint Your Wagon besides what I'm showing you on the cover of this DVD that I own? I know that it is a Clint Eastwood and Lee Marvin musical. Yep. (laughs) And I know that it has been featured on The Simpsons. Yep. (laughs) And they are not too far off from the truth. How do you feel about musicals? (laughs) Well, for the most part, I have seen my fair share of good ones and bad ones. Well, I'm not going to lie to you. Many people consider this one of the worst musicals of all time. I, on the other hand, consider it to be an absolute treat. But that's me. So you know that you've seen, you know it's a musical, you know you've seen this on The Simpsons. Do you know 
anything, anything else about this at all. I'm going to assume there is at least a wagon in it. Yes, there is a wagon in it, but the painting or the color of the wagon does not feature into anything whatsoever. It's just the name of the musical. That's it. There probably is a good reason for it, but eh, I don't know. It's not really that important. It does feature Clint Eastwood and Lee Marvin as the leads singing. So get yourself ready for that. And it is a Western and it is a musical. What are your expectations for this film? A lot of singing and dancing and crossing over with with unpacking the power of power pack because I expect a beer to go with this one. (laughs) I, I think I think that, you know, while you're watching the film, I can run on out, get a couple beers and make sure we're ready for it. Because I think that might be a good idea to have some beers while watching this film. Let me give you just a few more pieces of information because we do have Lee Marvin, Clint Eastwood, Gene Seberg, Ray Walston, who we've seen in some things before, and Harvey Presnell. So there are some good actors in it. And this is from 1969. So, you know, it's not all the way back in the time. So there is some interesting pieces in here. But yeah, this is a this is an interesting movie and I think it would be fun to watch with you whether you like it or not. Hey, everybody's entitled to their opinion. I enjoy it. I'm interested to see if you're going to enjoy it. Let's go ahead and have some fun while we sit back and listen to the trailer from Paint Your Wagon while Clinton sits down and watches this movie. We'll be right back. <laughs> along with Lee Marvin, Ted Eastwood, and Gene Seberg as they bring the free-living, free-loving California Gold Rush days to life in Paint Your Wagon. I love both of you. But that ain't gonna work, Elizabeth. You can't have both of us. Why not? Why not? Why not? Paint Your Wagon, based on the Lerner and Loeb Broadway musical about a lusty group of people who one day looked civilization in the eye and spit. Paint Your Wagon, from Paramount in Technicolor. And we are back. I truly, truly hope that you took the time to sit down and watch this classic question mark comedy musical from the 1969s Paint Your Wagon directed by Joshua Logan. I want to start off for those of you that didn't take the time to watch this to give you a quick synopsis of the film. On the trail to find the next gold rush, an accident occurs that kills a man and injures his brother. During the burial, Ben Rumson, played by Lee Marvin, notices gold in the plot and claims the area for him and the injured brother, who he calls partner, played by Clint Eastwood. A rough town develops around these men, and soon they are visited by a traveling Mormon and his two wives. It is decided that one of the wives will be sold, since there are no women in this town. A drunk Ben overbids and eventually marries Elizabeth under the only known laws claim laws. The town continues to develop with a heavy focus on men, booze, and eventually prostitutes. Additionally, Partner and Elizabeth fall in love. But instead of breaking the partnership, Ben, Partner, and Elizabeth join in a polygamous marriage. As the town reaches its tipping point of debauchery, a traveling caravan of Christians enters the picture. At the same time, a tunneling system designed to capture gold dust dropped in the saloon fails and destroys the entire town. Ben, a wandering man, decides to move on to get away from civilization while Partner and Elizabeth stay in the cabin. 
So, Clinton, you have now experienced the wonder and joy of Paint Your Wagon. Tell me what your first impression was. Well, whoa, whoa, whoa. Before we get to that, <laughs> you left out the part where the giant plant talks. You left out the part where Danny Zuko races at Thunder Road. You left out where Don Quixote is tilting at windmills. <laughs> Rick, come on. I mean, How many musicals did you watch? <laughs> I mean, Dr. Frankenfurter is the most important character and you didn't even include him. What is going on? <laughs> you you did watch this musical, Paint Your Wagon, right? You didn't watch like five or six other ones in order to avoid talking about this film. Is that what I'm hearing? Um, well, <laughs> I mean, you know, uh, <laughs> Dr. Horrible does have a sing-along blog. <laughs> and it's like... A third of the time so yeah yeah this is a bit of a lengthy movie how did you like that <laughs> <laughs> okay so first impression within about five minutes i was just like wow this is gonna be a long three hours <laughs> and then within five minutes of that i was laughing my ass off <laughs> And by the end of it, my real impression is uh, Ben Rumson is the hero every movie needs. <laughs> Whether- <laughs> He's a hero. He's a hero every movie needs. Whether we want it or not. Exactly. Right? <laughs> exactly. The, the inclusion of Ben Rumson in any movie could only make it better. But it has to be Lee Marvin's version because Lee Marvin makes any movie better. Yes, and I think that's the big takeaway is Lee Marvin is a force of nature in and of himself. Is he good in a musical? That is the question I am sure we are going to discover I, I during our conversation. But yeah, we'll we'll get to that when we get to that. It sounds like you had some enjoyment in watching this film. Whether it was for the reasons that the filmmakers initially <laughs> intended or not is up to debate, but you had some enjoyment watching this film. Uh, yes, yes. This film was, well, I mean, enjoyable is probably the word I would use. Uh, at times, downright hilarious, <laughs> mostly because I'm a fan of Westerns, uh-huh. but not like so big a fan that I can't laugh at some of the tropes and foibles and all that. And that's pretty much what this film generates is it's a nice little wink and a nod at so many things that happen in Westerns dialed up, except for gunfights. There, there's no gunfights in this. They shoot their guns in celebration. Mm-hmm. And I think it, maybe a gun is pointed at one person one time or, or a couple times. But mm-hmm. I mean, no, it, you don't get that aspect. There is a holdup. There is the one holdup mm-hmm. that yeah. occurs. And how... That group of drunkards managed to pull that hold off is another thing, too. Now, what about your expectations? You went into this with no real knowledge of this film, right? Correct. I I did not know if this was intended to be a comedy, if we were going for a serious drama, a la Oklahoma, thing like that, which Oklahoma itself is, you know, the, the musical, not the state, is mm-hmm. its own little tongue-in-cheek at times. The, the, well, the state is, too. But. No, the, the, no the, the state is just shame. <laughs> It is a a big pile of flaming garbage, but that's beside the point. Well, we lost everybody that listens to us from Oklahoma. Nobody from Oklahoma listens. (laughs) Nobody. Not even me. Well, maybe me. 
you went in with no real knowledge of this, uh, but coming out of it, expectations kind of overshot a little bit. <laughs> you probably went in low. I, I did. I went in a little low. I'm not, I'm not going to lie. I went in open-minded, but yeah, a little low. A lot of expectations were exceeded. A few were bought on or worse. <laughs> if I never have to hear Clint Eastwood sing about talking to the trees again, I will be fine. Uh, okay, let's get into this then. This movie has a lot to it. We could probably hit a few different points, but I'm going to leave it up to you to start the conversation. What do you want to start with? Do you want to start with the overall plot? Do you want to start with the musical numbers? Do you want to start with the cast? Do you want to start with the cinematography? What would you be interested in talking about first? Uh, I mean, let's go with the plot first. Okay. The plot as it is. Now, there is an argument to be made that there is that this is possibly three movies in one. Because you've got the initial part where the town is being developed, where the Mormons come in, and just the entire piece and setup of Elizabeth being introduced to this town of mining men. That's one movie in and of itself, and the plot there. And that goes throughout the film with the relationship between her and Ben, and eventually partner. The second part of the movie is, hey, we need more women in this town, because Ben's going nuts. Population, <laughs> men. Population, men. So, the second part is, we want this town to expand to become a little bit more like a town, and that involves bringing women in. A certain kind of women, but bringing women in. The final part of the film, the final act, you will say, is the destruction of the town. The town has gone above and beyond where it should have been and has fallen in on itself. At what point it's population drunk. Yes. <laughs> so the plot is, this is the untamed West, and this is civilization barreling down upon the men who are trying to outrun the civilization. That's kind of the plot. And every time they allow civilization just to come up too close, everything falls apart. And they have to move on. What do you think about it? I mean, I think it's a really good examination of the uh, expansion westward. As you said, civilization coming in and statehood, all that kind of thing. I'm going to like take a left turn here and say this is probably one of the earliest examples on film or positive examples anyway on film of a polyamorous relationship. Oh, yeah. This actually was very much outside of the comfort zone of a lot of people. There was a lot of issues with what this was depicting. This, some of the prostitution, like we mentioned, there's a lot of pieces of this film that were really risky for that time period. But having a polyamorous relationship with two men and one woman, sorry, two men and one woman, that was something that even today it's only becoming more recognized. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I mean, I just thought it was nice that, you know, nobody ever really says anything about it one way or the other, uh, you know, as far as like for or against other than, you know, we just get the one quick mention, like partner says he's staying in and Ben's going to go play cards. Well, why do I have to go play cards? Cause last night you I, were tired yeah. and I played cards. <laughs> yeah. They, they get along and they have a, more or less hot bunk where one's there, one's not there, and everybody is fine with this relationship. Uh, it's one less man that's competing for the limited resource of other women in the town. The only people that really complain about this is the Christians when they come in. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Ex 
except for the one. He's very happy with the state of the town. Yeah. <laughs> Once it gets shown its ways. Which <laughs> you could take two or three different ways, you know? You what about part with the rise and fall of the town and how it literatively and figuratively eats itself? <laughs> First of all, I just have to say that in and of itself is just a wonderful feat of cinematography and whoever had to dig all those ditches and make sure everything set off and collapsed at the right time in the right order. Kudos to them because, I mean, that was basically a we get one shot at this or everybody's working for the next week. Yeah. This was actually filmed out here in my neck of the woods. This was filmed in Oregon, in Baker County, Oregon, which is... Oregon? Yeah. Or Oregon? No, don't even start with me. Don't even start with me. (laughs) But this was filmed in one of the more sparsely populated areas called Baker County. It's kind of in the central eastern side of Oregon. And at the time, there was a influx of a bunch of hippies that actually came to check out what was happening and they got kind of incorporated into the cast (laughs) to various degrees of success but part of doing all this out there i mean they found a beautiful location for it but it just added to the cost of the film because they had to get all the stuff out there and it was such a remote location that it was a real pain to actually bring things out they did destroy the entire town at the, when they were done with it that was part of they built up the town they destroyed it back down left nearly no trace and that's part of the problem as, as well a big budget film that was just getting bloated by all these extravagant costs and then yeah it just didn't make the money back on it <laughs> You mentioned the final scene where they destroy the town, where they've set up the conceit. The gold is running out. A lot of people are leaving town. Ben's about to leave town with some of his Irish buddies. They're having one final night to drink. And they come to the realization that, hey, everybody always drops money at these saloons and they just kick it under the floorboards. We could dig under those floorboards and get all the gold that's been falling through the slats. And so this is our new plan. And they have honeycombed the entire town with this during the winter months or during the kind of colder months. And as the spring comes and the soil starts to loosen and they have this big bull bear fight thing that's going on, that's the straw that breaks the camel's back. And there we go. Everything starts to fall apart. I do have one question about that. Yeah. As far as plot goes, they dug out tons of dirt. Yeah. Where did they put it? And how did nobody notice? This is not even a really big no prize here. Because you've already mentioned the reason. The population of this town is drunk. They're busy doing (laughs) all the other stuff. They aren't really... Somebody's going through the town with a wheelbarrow full of dirt. That probably is the least crazy thing this town sees. Considering they're getting ready to have a bull and a bear fight. Yeah. Yeah. Somehow somebody managed to capture a bear in order to make... The Wild West was a wild place. (laughs) Yeah, this is one of those things where plot holes really aren't that big a deal. You might as well just have called the movie Swiss Cheese. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, We we aren't going to care about any of that at all. Let's get into our trio of of heroes of this film. Lee Marvin, Clint Eastwood, and Gene Seberg. Ben Rumson, partner, and Elizabeth. I want to tell you right now, one of those three is too pretty to be in this movie. That's really nice that you said that about Lee Marvin. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, that mustache is legendary. Uh, Yes. Yeah, Gene Seberg 
was an interesting choice for this. She is very beautiful. She hits the town with her husband, a Mormon, and his other wife. She is always, always, always the prettiest thing in the town. Even when the Christians come, even when they've got the ladies of the night that come. Jean Seberg is always got self focus on her throughout the course of this film. And I don't think she's ever really that muddy either. <laughs> Everybody else is always dirty, but she is never dirty. <laughs> what did you think about her performance in this movie? I mean, it's not, not to um, put it the wrong way here, but um, basically she comes out hot. Mm-hmm. I mean, she gets the, the introduction as the second wife, the more demure, more reserved, even though she and the other wife absolutely hate each other. I wouldn't call her the more demure or reserved one. I think that she is she is probably the stronger willed one, but she picks her battles mm-hmm. and knows where those battles are. Okay, we'll, we'll go with that. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, she she holds her tongue until she doesn't need to anymore we'll we'll put it that way the moment she and ben have had their wedding and go toward their quote quote honeymoon i mean she lays down the law instantly Mm -hmm. you know we mentioned the no gun fights no not really but there's pointing of guns she absolutely (laughs) yeah she 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 points a gun at ben and says look we are going to be married and i will respect that but you will treat me as an equal and not as a thing even though, for all intents and purposes, she is treated as a thing by the movie itself. Mm-hmm. She is bought. She she is bid on. She is bought. She is yes. wed to Ben as a property, as right. a claim. But she says, that's all well and good, but we are equals, mm-hmm. which uh, not too shabby for the time that the film was made and for the period of time that it's representing. Okay, now, as far as the the marriage between Ben and Elizabeth goes and the sharing with partner, because, yeah. you know, as Ben has established from the get go, you know, everything is 50, 50 with him. Mm-hmm. Let, let's rewind that just a minute. Are we sure that Elizabeth is the, the real marriage here? Because quite honestly, I'm going to say like Ben and partner make a pretty good couple. Yes, they do. And that is another thing that we could discuss on this is that Ben Rumson and partner, and especially the way Ben talks to partner, they are partners. They are an actual couple. They are partners in the claim that they are digging. They are partners in life. Ben lays down the law to, to him, says, look, I don't mind doing the work while you are injured, but here's what I you will do for me. You will comfort me in my times of misery. It's solemn. I get sad. I get depressed. You need to pick me off off the seat street when I am too drunk to get home. You need to cover my debts when I can't cover them. And I will always treat you square. Lee Marvin's character is not a good guy in this film, but he is always honest to his partner and he's always truthful to him. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, he is. Yeah. Ben Rumson is as far from a moral compass as you can get. As you said, he's always honest with someone he's made a deal with. Yeah. And he sticks to his deals. Yeah. He's not society's morals. He's his own morals, but he's exactly, but he's true to those more. And as far as the relationship, the way that Ben talks to partner, it's the way that you would talk to somebody that you're very intimate with. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't have to be physical or sexual or anything like that, but there is a relationship that is there. And I believe that Ben and partner do care for each other a lot. 
I would even say they love each other a lot. And when Elizabeth comes in, it is not too big of a stretch to say that both of them love her and she loves both of them. This is a very true love triangle that does occur here. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, it is really hard to say that Clint Eastwood and Lee Marvin are in a love triangle together. That's the thing, though. Like, I keep every time I look at it, I, I keep thinking, you know, as far as like the script and, you know, the movie itself, the overall plot. Yeah, Elizabeth and partner need to end yes. up together. But honestly, everything you see on screen tells you that partner and Ben need to end up together. Except for the same reason why Ben can't stay with Elizabeth is also the same reason why Ben wouldn't stay with partner. Partner might continue to follow Ben if another good thing wasn't there. Mm -hmm. And Elizabeth is a good thing. Yeah. Ben is essentially uh, the Huck Finn of this oh, yeah. story. Oh, yeah. Everybody knows the ending of Huck Finn. You know, society's not for him. He's heading out for the territories come yep. morning. I mean, that's Ben. He's And he even says it. You know, in the movie several times that he's only around as long as the nurse gold. As soon as it dries up, he's gone. He's moving on for something As long as he can keep 25 miles between him and civilization. Yep. And so he's going to keep on moving. Whereas partner and Elizabeth, they are fine with civilization. So they can stay. They don't mind being incorporated into that. They also are fine with what they had, too. It, it's nice to see this movie end on somewhat of a happy note. I mean, there is some there is mm -hmm. some sadness that this partnership is broken up, but at, at the same time, you can see that they are that nobody's really leaving on bad terms. Right. And there's no guarantee that Ben doesn't come back through and visit at some point. I would disagree with that. I see him being sentimental in his moments of depression, but I don't see him being sentimental in his choices. If he had a choice to come back and see them, I would definitely say that he would skip it. He is more interested in looking forward than looking back. Well, then just color me hopeful. <laughs> <laughs> I, I will say, though, that, you know, I have to give extra credit <laughs> to Ben because he's known partner for like two years. And then when he get, goes to leave, finally realizes, I've never asked you your name. It's, it's one of my favorite little lines from this movie is that final line. What is your name? As he's leaving. As he's finally leaving, he's finally asking the guy's name because he calls him partner. Everybody calls him partner. Yeah, the entire yeah. town. Yeah, Elizabeth. She just assumes that's his name. Nobody asks him. Any, and that's part of the movie as well. Nobody cares. It's not. What, do, what right. is your name? I'm not going to question what I hear your name being called. And partner is not one to give up more information than he's asked. I mean, as far as. I had to really think about it as far as timing, and I still didn't double check the dates, but gave me hints of Eastwood being in the Man With No Name trilogy. It's it's all happening at the same time. Yeah, and it, it's all, it's almost like it's just trying to be, again, tongue-in-cheek about it. Yeah. What about partner? What about Sylvester Newell, which is also <laughs> the, the name. farmer's name. <laughs> it's a farmer's name. <laughs> Which uh, Sylvester Newell is part of the crew of the film, too. I think he's he's one of the writers or something like that. That's where they pulled the name from. But yeah, it's just a horrible name. <laughs> what do you think about his place in this? He is the quiet one. He is kind of the stand-up guy. Definitely looks like he's got more morals than our buddy Ben. Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, he's really kind of supposed to be our POV character. 
I'm not sure if he's actually intending to be after gold at any point, you know, leading up to this. Once they stake the claim, he's just kind of thrust into it after <laughs> Ben stakes the claim. This is my claim and, and this is my partner. And, and you know, <laughs> and he just goes along with it. And it's like, okay, because I mean, I would honestly say at the start, he's as much like Ben as he's ever going to get as far as just being out there for the adventure. I think that the closest he ever gets to being like Ben is around the middle of the film where they have their marriage and he is, he's got the one song in the middle of the film, gold fever, where he is gambling, he's drinking, he's staying at the saloon and he's, he's actually part of this community. And you can see that there's parts of him that are just pushing against. He's still doesn't really buy into all this lifestyle. He pushes against it. He is trying to be like Ben, but he's not quite there. It's kind of like you're you're with somebody that you want to be with and you like being with them, but you're totally different and you try your best to be like them. He's very jelly. He, he keeps on molding himself to whoever's around him. That's why he does work so well with Elizabeth. Mm-hmm. Oh. <laughs> I just mentioned one of his songs, probably the better of the two songs that Chris <laughs> yes. would sings. Uh, Gold Fever is actually quite good, but let's let's get into some of the songs, if you will. Should we go ahead and start with the worst? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Let's let's get that out of the way. I talk to trees, <laughs> and okay, for all intents and purposes, the lyrics of the song aren't terrible. Yeah, you know, as far as songs from musicals go. It, it's not terrible. Yeah. It's definitely the worst one in this this entire production. <laughs> it's this wistful song as he's falling about. It's basically about him falling in love. His other song that he's got early on is I Still See Elisa, where he's singing a song about loss, which, yes, we see a guy on out in the West <laughs> singing about a lost love or the love he left behind. Yes, that's good. But to see Clint Eastwood singing a song about him falling in love. <laughs> and and let's be honest here. Clint Eastwood did not get hired for this role because of his singing ability. No. No, he did not. <laughs> because, you know, I went in thinking, oh, God, I'm going to hear Lee Marvin sing. And it's going to be a travesty. <laughs> Little did I know <laughs> that Lee Marvin's got some chops. And Clint Eastwood has got some flops. Lee Marvin knows that he can't sing, but Lee Marvin knows that he can speak in a voice that has been developed with thousands of packs of cigarettes and <laughs> barrels and barrels of whiskey. And it is gravel rubbing up against pebbles. And he can speak through his Wondering Star song like nobody's business. And that one actually charted. So, you know. <laughs> mm. Clint Eastwood, his gold fever is probably the best of the uh, of those trio. And that's a catchy little number about yeah, that, him. That was a fun song. Yeah. Talking about, you know, what it's like to be in this town and just driving yourself forward for gold and more mm -hmm. gold and more gold. The other big song in this is They Call the Wind Mariah. And this, and this one is actually sung by somebody who knows how to sing. <laughs> yes. And he belts this one out. And it's it's a good pivot point for the rest of the movie to kind of revolve around, too. What do you think about that song? Oh, that now nah, I've, I've told you before, off camera, you know, I was a theater kid in high school. And, mm -hmm. and 
I mean, that was one of those songs like everybody knew it. I didn't know it came from Paint Wagon, but <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, everybody had heard of you know, they call the Wind Mariah and all that, and it's it's like, man, you know, we we got a powerhouse here. This is like, why is there not a revival of the show right now? <laughs> We have two other songs that I just want to mention. I, I kind of mentioned the first one, Wonder and Star, which is Ben's mm-hmm. morose, kind of sad song. He's seeing people leaving, and he's thinking about leaving himself. Mm-hmm. And he speaks, sings it, which is a good choice for this one, because it's him mumbling through the song as he is mumbling down the road mm-hmm. in rain and mud. And it's sad. It's mirthful. It's reflective. There's a lot to be said with it. And it helps bring a good mood to the third act of this film, which is a little all over the place. What's your thoughts on it? I mean, you pretty much said it right there. Like he's morose and having a moment of self-reflection. So it it really works better, I think, to be talk sang instead of just sitting there singing it. You get more of a feel for for where Ben is as a character at this point. I know I've done it before. Some musicals, like you get to that point where they just suddenly burst into song for whatever reason of, you know, this is how I'm feeling right now. And you're like, eh, you know, this is where I tune out for another three minutes because, <laughs> you know, whether or not this adds to anything, I'm just not feeling it. But you kind of get suckered into it because the music starts up and you just think it's a little more of the background to go with the situation, especially with the rain pouring down. Because we're focusing on Lee Marvin's characters and he's mm-hmm. not going to sing. Oh no, he's going <laughs> to sing. <laughs> the other one is the best things in life are dirty. And this is Ben, <laughs> Mad Jack and partner. And this is where they're digging the tunnels and they're having fun. And they're talking about just the debauchery of their life. And we should mention that one of the characters that's in this, that's, a, a tertiary character is Ray Walston. <laughs> oh, yes. This is kind of the comedy element of, of this film, too. What do you think about that song? <sighs> that is an absolutely hilarious song, for one. And for two, Ray Walston's the guy that plays Poop Dag Pappy and Popeye, isn't he? I believe so, yes. Uh, he's also Mr. Handy from Fast Times at Ridgemont High, my yes. favorite Martian. Yes, uh, I yes. Mean, I mean, you know Ray Walston. He has been in everything. I don't think we've talked about him on this show yet, but I know he's been part of some of my favorite movies. He was in The Apartment, which is an amazing movie. He has been around forever. He has done tons of stuff. I like the guy a lot. I love seeing him in things and just seeing him as part of this, you know, Wild West or not Wild West, but this gold rush fever group of people. Yeah, sure. Easy for me to see. (laughs) One of the amazing character actors, basically. Yes. Yes. (laughs) What else has really stood out to you with this film? Was was there any scenes that you just you, you mentioned that you found some things absolutely hilarious? What are some of the scenes that you found absolutely hilarious? Oh, my gosh. Well, okay. For one, there's the part where Ben calls the guy out for for supposedly looking at Elizabeth and flirting with her. (laughs) And it's kind of like, Ben, the whole dang town is flirting with her just by saying hello. Yeah, that was Horace Tabor. He's blaming Horace Tabor for looking at him or looking at her. And this is where he starts going crazy, or they say he's going crazy. And they have a big confrontation in the the river outside of his the cabin, and this leads to a town hall meeting about Ben and his insanity. (laughs) (laughs) 
And then, of course, you know, which leads to the reverse psychology of bringing in all the, the booze and loose women and all that. <laughs> well, they got the booze. They have the booze. Yeah. But they, and the it, gambling, that's the, yeah. the thing they're missing. It, it's partner who brings up this idea <laughs> and helps to sell Ben. And he's looking at Ben in front of this entire group of guys and saying, well, we can't bring in those women because if we do that, that's going to bring in saloons and more. Mm-hmm. And Yeah, and I love that. That, that would be a terrible idea. It would be what? <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, that would be oh, yeah, horrible. Yeah, yeah, idea. Terrible, terrible. Horrible for the town. <laughs> they they convince the town to go along with this and they send Ben out. Why? Because it was his idea. <laughs> and he's the leader and he's the more responsible one, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> with with their incredibly mismatched uniforms. <laughs> pretending to be some garrison from the u.s army absolutely none of them dressed in a u.s army uniform ben looks like it's something he raided off of some foreign legion costume for all we know that ben did some turn at the foreign legion i mean come on (laughs) what about this film did you really not like or do you did you think that didn't work well Mm, I mean other than eastwood singing well yeah we've we've established that As we've said, we can't really nitpick plot holes because that's just not what this is about. And besides that, I'm what musical out there doesn't have plot holes a mile wide? Gosh, I'm really not sure if there is anything that doesn't work as far as like what their intent. I, I will say the initial camera work of the runaway wagon at the very start of the film. Oh my lord! I dang near got sick. <laughs> that, real, that yeah. If you have motion sickness at all, d- close your eyes for the first two or three minutes of that movie. They could have probably improved upon that a bit. I know we're not really talking the plot holes, but how did you find the film ending up? I mean, they there's a bit of tying themselves in knots. They need to figure a way out of this film the way that they had it set up, which I should also point out, Paint Your Wagon, the movie, is drastically different from Paint Your Wagon, the play. They used it as a framework, more or less, but and they took some of the songs, but there's a lot of the songs in this and a lot of the plot that is not in the play. To be fair, I have never seen the play. I'm just getting this off of what I've read. They tied themselves into a bit of a knot, and they needed to know that they needed to destroy the town and start over, more or less. I mean, how did you... Did it feel a little bit dos ex machina with, no, it just so happens that these this Christian caravan comes in, and the town reaches this tipping point? Or do you think it, it all worked together to, to finalize No Name City? I think it actually kind of worked with it. As far as like being at all just wrapping up for the climax of the movie, I mean, like you said, it kind of gets to the point of they've painted themselves in a corner and like, okay, how do, how do we end this? How do we get from here to the conclusion we want? I know, let's just, let's destroy the town. <laughs> as we kind of wrap this up a bit, I think we've talked a lot through this. Is there anything else that you really want to talk about? Or is there any other big pieces that you really enjoyed that you think we should mention? I think you should mention the three best things in life. (laughs) Because apparently drinking and smoking are two of them. Yeah. Well, I think we we still try to remain somewhat of a a family podcast on here. This is referring, of course, to the new settlers that come into town is this Christian group. And they're 
They were stranded up on the mountains in the snow. The town gets together. They go up and rescue them. And of course, they need to get places for these people to stay besides the brothels. So one family gets set up at Elizabeth's cabin. And it's a mother and a father. There's a daughter. And they've got this teenage son, Horton. And Horton's really into listening to Ben tell wild stories. And we should also mention, too, that because of some misunderstandings and because Elizabeth doesn't want to explain that there is a polygamous relationship going on here, partner is seen as the husband to Elizabeth. And Ben is told to stay out of the cabin until this is all resolved. So Horton ends up hanging out with Ben and... Ben shows him their tunneling operation, and they put him to work there. And afterwards, Ben shows him all of the vice that a saloon can offer. And Horton takes to it like a duck to water. <laughs> it is amazing. He, he can outdrink, outsmoke, and out everything Ben. And Ben is quite impressed. <laughs> he can also outgamble pardon. Yes. Yes, he can. <laughs> <laughs> he comes on borrowing $10, it's instantly returned, and he has more than enough money to spare. <laughs> Which he then uses. Um, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and they keep telling him, you know, let don't tell your parents about this. And he, that lasts, oh, 30 minutes before Horton spills the beans. <laughs> this movie is not family friendly. <laughs> Depends on the... Uh... It depends on the age. The ages are a little bit more in the adult range for this one. Right. I can I can understand why, you know, you don't watch this with your child. Yeah, because I, I like to be married to my wife. Right. Um, <laughs> I can list other reasons why I would not watch this with my children, but you know, that's because I don't think they would want to sit through a three-hour musical <laughs> western, <laughs> for one. But as far as plot elements, yeah. Then again, you know, my kids are quite a bit older than yours. <laughs> so I'm kind of fascinated. I didn't know how you would take this film. And this was... I didn't either. <laughs> this was one of these times when, yes, you did give me a list of films that you were interested in watching. And I did an audible and I decided to throw you a curveball and show you a movie that I guessed you hadn't seen. You hadn't seen it. And you went into this absolutely blind. So... Thank you for letting me experiment on you. <laughs> but I need to know, I, it sounds like you enjoyed the film for some reasons. I need to know something. What's that? When are we getting to the part with Bluto and Sweet Pea? <laughs> no, no, that's a different movie with Ray Walton. We already covered that. <laughs> Let me ask you, though. Let me ask you. Sure, sure. When does Judas betray Jesus Christ? Oh, we're not even going there. <laughs> <laughs> Clinton. <laughs> how, many <laughs> how many full bags of popcorn would you give paint your wagon? Would I give? Yeah. Okay. How many would I give personally? Or how many would I give saying that I were like a general viewer of things? You give this movie. What? How does this rank on your own personal scale? I think we talked earlier, probably weren't recording at the time, but there is a difference between good movies and great movies. I think it's fair to say that this is not a good movie, but on the great scale, how many would you give this? One to five. Okay, well, if I were a musical genius show November. Which, according to your driver's license, which I did steal, you aren't. I mean, there are multiple reasons on why I would not be Joe November. Chief among those being musical genius. 
but I mean, like I would lean probably heavy into a three and a half, but you know, there are no half bags of pop mm-hmm. because you know, a half bag of popcorn is just a travesty. Oh yes. And that's a crime against nature. This is true. So personally, I'm going to have to say this is a four. I would agree with you. And like I said, this is on the great scale. This is, I've got sentimentality on my side. I have always enjoyed this film. I find it to be a fun romp when I sit down and watch it. Yes, it is very long, but this rises above the mediocrity. Now, if I were to rank it on a good scale, this would possibly push a two. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Because this is not a good movie. There is definite problems with this movie. And as a whole, it doesn't work that well. But it is fun as heck to watch. Okay. For for fair comparison, Mm -hmm. as far as my tastes go, this is as good a musical comedy as Big Trouble in Little China is an action movie or Lost Boys is a horror movie. You might get in trouble with saying that about uh, Big Trouble in Little China. Big Trouble in Little China is a great movie. Yes. It's not necessarily a good movie if we're going on that scale i I would say it'd probably be a little bit better than this movie but i can see where you're going with russell and james hong that i I mean that basically makes it like a 4.9 oh no no. yeah no 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 i'm with you completely on that but But, you know that that's again beside the point (laughs) all right thank you very much for doing this with me it's always a pleasure to talk to you where can people find you if they want to find you anywhere i mean Besides on the Longbox Crusade Network. <laughs> well, if you're looking for me on other places, I do a show called Coffee and Comics, where I generally look at a comic in the span of time it takes to have a nice little coffee break. The contents of those episodes are usually pretty random. So, you know, whatever comic I feel like talking about at the time. And that uh, out there on its own feed, uh, you can find me on Twitter at coffee comics blg or fridays underscore fan and i have a show that is pretty semi-regular at this point almost dang near quarterly called days of high adventure where i specifically look at fantasy comics and it is also on its own feed but if you're looking for me on the Longbox crusade network you can find me down in the basement looking at fan films on fan film fridays you can find me on the attic of the same Longbox Crusade headquarters where I host this movie podcast. And you can find me on Twitter at mmuckabout or on my other podcast, Unpacking the Power of Power Pack, which I host with my partner. That's it. That's the joke. He would rather be called that than his real name, which is Jeff. Still not Sylvester Newell. <laughs> if you'd like to be on the show, please feel free to contact me. You can reach me at Jeff and Rick present all one word at gmail.com. Big thank you to Longbox Crusade Network for letting me use the attic and letting Clinton live in their basement to broadcast our respective shows. And I'd also like to thank the Longbox Crusade members who help support the network and help keep the electricity on and the heat on and the air conditioning on for me and making sure that Clinton has rations. If you would like to support this network and to make sure that Clinton gets his daily pill, please head on over to Patreon and search for the Longbox Crusade. Now, Grab the popcorn and pull the seat for our next episode. Oh, and that reminds me too. I promised that I would let you out since the door is unlocked. So go ahead. Gee, uh, thanks. 
hey, when did you all put in a second door? And why isn't this one unlocked? Hey, I only said a door was unlocked. You never asked me about the other door. Now, if you will excuse me, I'm just going to take the locked elevator back up to the attic. Later, dude. When did they install an elevator down here? And why didn't I get a key? The music for this episode is Fall Back by musical genius Joe November. Check out his SoundCloud at josephlin99. That's J-O-S-E-F-L-I-N-9-9. You got a problem with that? As a matter of fact, I do. You missed a spot. Well, grab a brush and join in. Gonna paint your wagon. Gonna paint it fine. Gonna use oil-based paint, cause the wood is pine. Pine, 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 pine,